being aware of being aware, right now you're just, I'm reflecting for you in this way of being aware of the posture, which is an object of awareness, isn't it? There's awareness of the body sitting, it's like this. And it's an object, the body is an object of awareness. Being aware of the breath, mindfulness of the breath, the inhalation, exhalation. Awareness is aware of an object, the breath is an object. So you get this this uh, distinction of awareness going out towards objects. If you're looking at me, then you're aware of me sitting here on this seat. So your your awareness is of what you're seeing, what you're feeling. You're aware of the breath, the nostrils, you're aware of the posture of the body sitting on the mat. And then being aware of being aware. Then you're, you're getting to the source of it all, right? To awareness itself. But awareness is not an object. And so you, you kind of inform yourself that being aware of being aware is like this. It's conscious, consciousness here and now, here and now. You can be aware of, you start thinking, trying to figure out, you know, how, what awareness is, or doubting, or, you know, whatever thoughts arise, whether they're doubts or skillful means or whatever, they're doubts, you're aware of, of thinking, of, of being doubtful. Doubting is the result of thinking. So the third sanyojana, the third fetter, the first one, as I've said before, is sakyaditi. The second is, a, you know, we translate sakyaditi as identity with the body. We're firmly convinced that that I am this physical body and all that entails in its appearance and age and and uh, nationality race gender all this is you know created a sense of identity with the gender of the body with the appearance of with the age of it this is all done through thinking the body doesn't say it's how old it is or your body doesn't tell you it's it's you. Your body doesn't have language. It doesn't, you know. It's so, but you're aware of the body. 
And then you say, I'm this, I'm this age, I'm this gender, I'm this height, I'm fat, I'm thin, I'm male, I'm female. You, you project all these words, these concepts, onto the, you know, the body itself, when its body is a sankara. It is what it is. And then we create a sense of a separate self, an ego. Sakyadidi is, you know, a convincing argument that I am completely separate from you because the bodies are separate from each other. Then with words, you know, we create the separate self, the ego, which is, the ego's based on on the illusion, you know, all these vulnerable conditions, like your physical body is what you are, which is a very vulnerable form. So there's a lot to fear. If if all we are is a, you know, if our only identity, the reality of our life is just the, the physical body that's sitting here, you know, because anything can happen to it. You know, we hear news about epidemics, you know, deadly epidemics coming in the future, climate change, heating of the planet, wars, conflicts, and these bodies are, you know, subject to damage at any moment. So, you know, fear is is the result of thinking about the future. The possibility for sickness, illness, disease, loss, humiliation, death. So then as meditators and as disciples of the Buddha, you know, we ask ourselves, is is Sakyadini, this sense of me as a separate vulnerable form, is that my real identity? You know, is that all I am is a, is a food body? You know, you start looking at your your body, it's, it's food, it's, rather than seeing it in, in highly personal ways or through vanity or conceit, we have to feed it every day, feed it food. If we don't, then it gets sick and dies. But then mindfulness, sati-sampachanyam, the Pali word sati mindfulness, sampachanya is intuitive awareness. It's awareness of the present is like this. Knowing your conscious is like this. Being aware of me sitting on the seat is like this. This awareness, consciousness, 
Is it inside the body? Is it, you know, is it uh, contained within the form of our physical body? Or is it, is the body in consciousness? So these are like inquiring, self-inquiring questions to ask. What is consciousness? If it's just dependent on the eyes, on seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, you know, we can go blind, we can lose our sight and go deaf and so forth. So the, the senses themselves, you know, are sankharas. So they're vulnerable too, you know, they, they can be damaged or lost. But can consciousness be lost? Even, you know, even somebody we consider unconscious means their senses aren't functioning in the way that normal human beings function. But there's consciousness, they're still alive. So in this retreat, you know, see, this is the opportunity to investigate the reality of our very being present here and now. Doubt, which Ikeja, the third Sanyojana, the third fetter, the fetter is an obstacle that prevents us from seeing clearly. Is, you know, when we try to think our way to Nibbana, or try to conceptualize consciousness, define it as some kind of object. You know, we'll find ourselves going around in circles and never, you know, nobody can define consciousness, cannot objectify it. So, you know, in modern psychology and science, Consciousness is the great mystery. And yet we're all conscious. Consciousness is here and now. This is the fact that we have to admit is the certainty of this moment. Consciousness is like this. You are conscious. Consciousness is, is, is the body in consciousness or consciousness in the body. So thinking like this is a way of of kind of examining, investigating, inquiring into the way it is. And in mindfulness of the body, I've noticed, you know, years ago when you, you go through the body, the sensation of the body from the top of the head to the soles of the feet, and you're kind of aware of the of the with the parts of the body that you can witness and observe, be aware of the body, you know, through aware your awareness, mindfulness of of the soles of the feet or the top of the head or the right elbow or the left little finger, you know, you whatever object you create in your mind, you're you're aware of it. 
So you, you know, you think to yourself, my, the little finger on my right hand, and you're aware of it. Is the awareness, is consciousness in the little finger? Is it, is it, can the little finger be aware of itself? You know, so these are kind of ridiculous questions, but they're important to, to instruct ourselves. Can my right hand be aware of my left hand? Or is awareness, and then you have the whole body reflection. Awareness of the whole body sitting, like the, the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Right now sitting is like this. Can the body itself, is it aware of its sitting? Can the body be aware of itself or is there awareness of the body? Where is consciousness then? Inside? Is it the brain? Is it, you know, contained inside? the body limited to the form of each individual? Or is the body in consciousness? These are like doubts, which you teach you thinking like this, but it's, it's a, a way to use doubt for investigation. Because it makes when you when you doubt something, you have to reflect on it. You know, you're not you, you, you're not looking for an answer with more words, but just observing. Is consciousness inside me, this physical body, or is the body inside consciousness? Then we can say this: all of us, everybody here in this room is inside consciousness or are we just totally separate forms with our own personally stamped unique consciousness so this way reflecting on the on the word consciousness we're using sati, sampajaya, mindfulness, intuitive awareness, which is intuitive awareness, as I've said before, is in Pali, it's sampajanya. It's, it's not in, it's not intellectual, it's not thinking, it's awareness. The body's like this. The whole body, the sense of whole body awareness. I can't, you know, where do I, do I come from my head, from my eyes? I, you know, I can't see the back of my head or my back. I have to, if I want to see the back of my head, I have to get several mirrors to see it. I can't see my back. I can see my knees, my feet, my hands. So seeing, you know, is to have the whole body, reflection on the whole body here and now is awareness is, isn't inside the body, the body's inside awareness. So then taking this to its logical conclusion, the universe is in consciousness. 
rather than consciousness is in various bits of the universe. Consciousness is separate, is it some kind of mystical force? It's, it's the most ordinary reality of every moment that we breathe. It's consciousness is like this. So I say, are you conscious? And you say, yes. So this way of reflecting, you know, it, it, we assume, you know, before I ever meditated, the sakyaditi, the sense of myself, I always, I never reflected in any way other than I just assumed consciousness is, is inside the body. That's the way it seemed. The idea of body and consciousness didn't ever occur to me till I encountered Buddhism. Now that's uh, one of the, you know, the main reason that I became a Buddhist was because this was, this seemed to make more sense in my life than the, than the way I viewed myself through the ego which was based on all kinds of opinions, views, ideas, ideals, thinking process, memories, hopes for the future, fear of the future, and so forth. The whole Sakya Ditti, Sila Bhattabharamasa, the whole sense of, you know, I'm this, this unique individual, separate, with everything else opposed to me in some way as an object. So in Buddha Dhamma, you know, then these, these kind of words in Pali, you know, is a tradition that's been carried through 2,500 years. They're words, just like any other. But they're for reflection, for contemplation. So the Four Noble Truths, you know, are not doctrinal positions we take on, you know, it's not like everything is suffering and kind of a negative, uh, cover for experience of life, it would be very depressing to think of uh, the first noble truth as ultimate reality, as a metaphysical truth. It's, you know, so the, the way in Arya such a noble truth is, you know, is to be reflected upon, to be used as a way of observing uh, the physical body, the, the thinking habits we have, the emotional conditioning that we, we have, that we are experiencing in the four postures, being aware of the breath. Who, who would ever think of being aware of the breath unless, you know, you're having breathing problems? And so much of modern life is to distract oneself from the here and now, you know, like television, 
internet, you know, it's um, in this process of going out to things through the senses. And, you know, modern technology has increased that ability to for distraction. We can, you know, we can go to the supermarket and buy all kinds of delicious sweets and pastries and food and stock it up in the, in the refrigerator. When we get upset and we, we feel lonely or depressed, we can start eating, drinking, smoking, looking at our iPad, calling our friends on the iPhone, Everything is, is so immediate, you know, and, you know, person of my age, we weren't, didn't have all such easy distractions. My generation grew up on, with the radio as a kind of luxury. So we listened to the, to distract ourselves, we listened to the radio. Didn't have television until I was a teenager. Then in, in less uh, technically advanced societies, you know, you have, you know, in back in the Middle Ages and so forth, before you had radios and so forth, you had long winters in Northern Europe and what did people do, you know? <laughs> so they, they made things, they moved old baskets and embroidered tea towels, <laughs> anything, you know, to do something, to, you know, because not doing anything, sitting and just reflecting was not an option. The religion, for the most part, was a belief system. You were told what to believe, what, you know, and, and so you, you accepted that. To fit into the society, you had to accept the belief systems that were available, what your parents told you, what your society offered you in terms of religion or social ethics or values. Then with Buddha Dhamma, it's not, you know, it's an opportunity to start questioning, to awakening, not just be caught in a in a Buddhist belief system. That's imposed on us or that we, we just operate from believing what the scriptures say without reflecting on them. Because it's very obvious the Four Noble Truths are meant to be used. They're not, you know, they're not inspiring in, in like when you talk about God or or the Deva Loka, or Brahma, or, you know, you, you have unconditioned love, compassion, and then you're going to talk about words that inspire the mind. Like the word love, or universal love, or God is compassionate and loves us all equally. It's inspiring, you know, as a concept. But then in, in terms of reflecting on the way it is, what, is, what do we mean by God? 
you know, because people have different perspectives, different attitudes, different beliefs. And which are the right ones, you know, or the wrong ones. And then that's a matter of opinion. Nobody, what is, when we talk about God, what are we really talking about? What are we referring to? The common word and, and you hear in the news and everything about evangelical Christians believe in God and God speaks to them individually and so forth. What are, what are they actually doing? And is God, you know, uh, a patriarchal male up in the sky or is it a person? And then the feminists say, why does God have to be male? Why can't God be female? So you get caught up in doubt or arguing about the gender of God. But what, what do you mean by God? You know, so one time when Lumpur Cha was, when we, uh, in 1979, when Lumpur Cha came to England the second time, we were at Chithurst in West Sussex, and we were invited to a Anglican seminary in Hayward's Heath, which is a town in Sussex, where they had a Church of England Anglican seminary. So I went with Lung Po Cha to this seminary, and the uh, postulants, the priests were all very interested in what Lung Po Cha had to say. And they would talk about God. And, uh, and so I would have to translate, you know, in, for Lung Po Cha. And then Lung Po Cha said, you know, what they mean is Dhamma. So then we got this word Dhamma. And God, God tends to be anthropomorphized into, you know, patriarchal male form. And, and, you know, so that's the, that's an anthropomorphic image imposed on, you know, because the, the mentality is, you know, the, the father is the, the patriarch, the one that lays down the laws and protects the family. So the whole idea is, is, you know, comes from this illusion of a male Dhamma as being male or God as being male. But notice in a skillful way the Buddha presented this situation is Dhamma isn't, doesn't have a gender. It's not anthropomorphic. It's no physical form for it, you know, not human form. But Dhamma is here and now. So, you know, in Santitiko Akaliko Dhamma, apparent here and now. So you could even use the word God, apparent here and now. You know, so you're, you're bringing it into the reality of the present moment that you can actually know and not just believe what somebody tells you. This is why it's, uh, you know, this encouragement that I'm making during this retreat to learn to trust this awareness. 
because it's it isn't something I create. It's not like I, as a individual person, create consciousness. My, the creations I make through thinking, you know, are in consciousness. As a personality, as a individual, I can create all kinds of things. I can create fears, or greed, or lust, or anger, or jealousy. I can, I can create, you know, learn different languages, study philosophy, acquire knowledge of science. I can acquire all kinds of things of a conditional level. But when I let go of everything, and rather than seeking knowledge as something I acquire from somebody else or from something else, what's left is knowing, isn't it? At the end of the day, you know your your conscious. Consciousness is like this. It's knowing here and now. It's not knowing about anything. And then um, learning to abide in this awareness, trusting it. Because it's here and now all the time, so it doesn't come and go. It's not like it, it has a beginning and end. You know, our awareness of it can be, we can be distracted yeah, and forget about being mindful by looking at the iPad or listening to the radio or eating food or whatever, you know, we, we have, we have our habit patterns for entertaining ourselves or distracting ourselves through sensory conscious experiences. But when awareness is aware of itself, Jit and Jit in Thai, this I really found, you know, this was, uh, the, in Thai they use the word Jitta, which is a Pali word, means consciousness. Jitta knows Jitta. It, jitta is not an object at that time, it's just self-knowing. It's like this. It's not, an, it's not like one kind of jitta, hence another kind of jitta. Or consciousness knows some, some other consciousness. It's self-aware. This is awakened, enlightened awareness. That is, uh, you know, the, the whole thrust and pointing of the Buddha Dhamma. So it's interesting to think of, you know, think of like in Hinduism, Shiva or Brahma, Vishnu. In Christianity, you've got God, Jesus. In Islam, you have Allah, Muhammad. And God tends to, you know, in, in, in all these religions, they anthropomorphize forms, you know, thoughts. But, 
you know, getting to the reality of here and now, we're not anthropomorphizing Dhamma or God, but awakened awareness is very direct, very here and now. So it's not forming an opinion that, you know, it's not like atheism where you say there isn't any God or believing in God, the Christian God or the Jewish God or the Muslim God or, and they're supposed to be the same God, but none of these religions get along with each other. And then Hinduism, Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma, it's not denial of any of those gods, but it's getting behind the concepts, the anthropomorphic images to the reality that is here and now, which is awareness, consciousness. So, you know, you hear, you know, modern thinkers, you know, kind of condemning uh, theistic religions or religious beliefs and that, you know, because they, they, you know, but there's, but atheism believing there isn't any God is still a belief, you know, because you haven't found out what that really means. So you can believe there is and believe in God, or you can believe there isn't any God or gods, or you can uh, take the agnostic approach. Well, I don't really know. Probably there is or isn't. Who cares? Or is the Jewish take on God the right one, or the Islamic one on Allah, or the Christian? You know, we can argue these points depending on our cultural religious conditioning. Basically, you know, Jews, Christians, Muslims believe in the same God. There's no argument about that. But all the conflicts arise in, in, you know, in the views they have, what they think is God. Which is the modern, is Jew, the Jewish God old-fashioned and the Christian version is more up-to-date and Islam is even more modern than, than Jesus. And, you know, you get into time and history and views and opinions, prefer, personal preferences, religious conditioning. But on a retreat like this, we start examining the these belief in, in God as an old man up in the sky. Old white man up in the sky. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, that's, that's the child version, like Santa Claus, isn't it? You, up to a certain age, you believe in Santa Claus, and then you realize there isn't any, but I, and so, but sometimes we carry these beliefs, you know, into our lives because we don't know. I've known people who say they believe in all of God just to make sure when they die. 
So that's one way of solving the problem. But it's very complicated, you know, to believe in so many gods. So like the, you know, the genius of the Buddha was bringing our attention to the here and now to investigate. And this is where we have to trust this awareness. It's non-personal, so it's not my, you know, Ajahn Sumedho view of Buddha Dhamma and, and that, you know, it's not based on what I think of, what I believe or think, but it's an investigation of believing and thinking. So beliefs are sankharas. You can't believe something 24 hours a day. You know, you believe it when it comes, you believe in God, you, you say yes. So you, you think you believe in God, or you believe there isn't any God. No, I'm an atheist. There is, all that is rubbish about God. God, uh, religion is the opiate of the people, like Karl Marx proclaimed. You can believe that. Or you can believe monotheism is, is better and higher than polytheism. Like the Christians criticize religions like Hinduism because it, it looks like polytheism. They believe in all kinds of deities and gods. And monotheism is a, is a kind of cultural advancement. Paganism is, is, uh, you know, believing in all kinds of gods and anthropomorphic images in nature. So, you know, monotheistic, you know, brought up as a Christian, you, you tend to look down on polytheism, pantheism, paganism, because you, you assume that your form of belief is, is more advanced. So, you know, this is, this is all about thinking and clinging to thoughts and views, to conditioned views. How you were brought up, you know, whether your parents were atheists or Christians or agnostics, you know, we acquire the, the views and opinions from our parents. But what isn't a view or opinion from parents at this very moment is awareness. It's not, it's not polytheistic, it's not monotheistic, it's not, you can't call it anything. It's not a, that this view is, my view that I hold is the, is right, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. But I'm pointing to the common reality that's shared at this very moment is consciousness. We're all in the same consciousness. So that's unity, isn't it? It has this sense of awareness that, and we know we're aware. Everyone in this room knows they're aware. It's like this. And as you, you know, at first with awareness you point to objects. What you see, uh, the objects that you see or the sounds that you hear, the odors you smell, the tastes that you 
tasting the, the heat and cold on the body, the pleasure, pain, feelings, sensory experience. You're going out towards the, what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch. You're thinking. And then refraining from being, going out, being aware of being aware, or jit hen jit, or consciousness, knowing itself. Sati Sampatanya, intuitive awareness. So this is where, you know, when we talk about insight, and in Pali the word jnana, jnana dasana, insight knowledge, it's not acquired knowledge. So through this investigation, you know, you have insight. Wisdom, through wisdom, not through acquiring what wise sages have said, you read in books, but wisdom is natural to us. It's not something that somebody can't you know, doesn't have. But it's oftentimes overlooked for our beliefs, our prejudices, our biases, our fears. So I always like to have this going out through the senses. You know, that's what we, how we, the world that we create, we believe in the world is something separate that we see, that we hear, smell, taste, touch, that we feel. The world out there is separate from me because I'm just this this sensitive form sitting here on this seat. And you're all objects in the world. And that created, that's thinking. That's how it seems on the thinking level, in the conditioned view, without intuitive awareness, But then with sati-sampatanya, intuitive awareness, and through reflection on the teachings of the Buddha, the consciousness is immeasurable. It has no form. It has no... You can't objectify it. You can't find it, you know, through seeing or through any of the senses. But you can be aware of consciousness, aware of itself. Sati Sampatanya. Another experiment, one of my favorite passages in the scriptures is in the Nibbana Sutta. And uh, this was, you know, the Buddha saying, making the statement. He says, "Ati bhikkhuve ajatang aputang akatang asankadang." What this means is, he's saying, "Bhikkhus, ati bhikkhuve." There is the unborn, 
uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So he's making a statement. There is, he's not philosophizing or supposing, guessing, you know. He's not saying, I think there's something called the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So I like this kind of direct affirmation. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now try to imagine the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. These four, they're all negations of the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned, aren't they? Using the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Use a suffix, a negative, denying suffix or prefix. And then try to imagine the born, the created, the form, the condition. You can't do it. You can't create images. And that's why in, in language you have to use the prefix, un, unborn, for born. And then the Buddha says further, because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. That's how it's translated into English. There is the escape, freedom from the born, the created, the form, the condition. So, like in meditation, where where you know in vipassana, the satipatthanas, the four foundations of mindfulness, we're investigating the form, the created, the born, the condition, which is the body, the feelings, the mental states, the thoughts. We're looking at them in terms of their characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and and non-self. And as you let go of your identity with the born, the created, the form, the condition, you know, you have the the second noble truth about letting go of this blind, ignorant attachment to the formed, the born, the created, the condition. What's left when you let go, when there's no attachment, no delusion, is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, which is consciousness. Because what you're left with, when you let go of everything, of all the conditions, there's still awareness, consciousness, knowing it's like this. So these teachings are, you know, they're, this teaching from the Nirvana Sutra is very, you know, I found brilliant kind of reflection. And just tr- trust yourself. Imagine the unborn. Imagine consciousness. You know, try to imagine consciousness as if it's separate than if it's personal. 
you know, you, you, so you can form images of my consciousness is in me and you create these with words, with images, anthropomorphic images, you create images of deities, of gods, of devas. But can you create an image of unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned? It's impossible. You just, your thinking mind stops. You can't imagine the unborn. But even though you stop imagining and trying to create images, there's still awareness. And it's noting this awareness, beginning to respect it, to love it, to realize that this is what you can trust, this is the escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. All the things that are vulnerable, changing, unstable, that we tend to identify with when we let go of, we're not getting rid of them. But we begin to realize our ultimate reality, Dhamma, here and now, timeless. So it's an insight knowledge, not a belief kind of understanding, having read the Nibbana Sutta, that you kind of figure it out intellectually, but it's applied directly, you know, like, what is the uncreated at this moment? And, you know, you, you can't create anything. You can't imagine the uncreated. So the thinking mind stops, packs up, can't create an image. What's left when thinking ceases is doubt, not knowing, but it's conscious. You know, when you're trying to figure out what is God or Dhamma or Allah or Vishnu or whatever, then you, you know, you, you create images, forms. But the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned Dhamma is uncreated, unborn, unconditioned, unformed. So by this this way of reflecting, you you stop trying to imagine or create things through the thinking mind, but trusting intuitive awareness. Because when you've let go of thought and identity with conditioned phenomena, as the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, Buddha was not telling us a lie or trying to delude us, but pointing very directly to the reality that we are all engaged in, that we are in ourselves. <clears throat>